Good morning, Parkway Church. How are you guys doing today? Great. I am so glad you're here. Whether you're gathered in Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, Parkway Victoria, or online, we are so glad you're here. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. And it's my privilege this week to open the Bible with you and to walk through Scripture and to apply it directly to our lives. We're in a, in a, in a pattern of church life where we're walking through the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, chunk by chunk, so that we get to see the theological threads that run throughout the Bible, so we get to see the big story of God. We've journeyed through the Old Testament, now we're into the New Testament through the Gospels and through Acts and through the Book of Romans, and now we step into First and Second Corinthians. And we're going to step into Paul's letters to the church in Corinth for the next few weeks. And what we're going to learn from Paul as he talks to this church is how you and I can make radical decisions for Christ and the radical life change that Jesus brings to you and to me when we believe in him first and then follow him second. See, the church in Corinth had every opportunity in life and every opportunity like with wealth and with commerce and with, with I mean, it was like, like our world today as Americans. We have everything at our fingertips and more with Amazon, right? And so Paul's going to talk to this church that is off base on a few key areas, and he's going to redirect them so that they will live radically for Jesus. And as we prepare for that, I just want to say thanks to everybody who came and who led and who played a part in serving so that revival would happen last week with Denny. That was a special time in the life of our church, and... I am so thankful for what the Lord did among us. And one of the steps that some might take out of revival is to take the radical discipleship step of getting baptized. And if today's your day to get baptized at Lone Tree or Parkway Victoria, we invite you at any point during the service to find the baptism leader at your campus. Here at Parkway Victoria, at any time in the service, you can step over to the door here to my right, your left, and we will take you and get shorts and t-shirts. It's cold outside, but the water's warm. And so we encourage you at Lone Tree and at Parkway Victoria, Port, Port Lavaca, y'all are going to baptize next week. But if today's your day to go public with your faith, let's take that step and let's celebrate it as we worship together today. One of the other things that I hoped would happen as we came out of revival is that we would have hundreds of people within our church that were fired up for Jesus that we would have hundreds of people, as Denny put it, who were loving Jesus like he's never been loved before. And we would have people coming out and saying, because God can do anything, and because God breathes life into situations, because God can be trusted always, I'm going to make some radical changes to my life. I'm not here just to go through life. I'm here to honor God with all of my life. And as the perfection of God and his timing for our church and the perfection of his word lines up, we step into First and Second Corinthians so that we can see how you and I can do more than just live the norm, how you and I can do more than just live as everyday Christians in an everyday world where moderation is expected and celebrated. You know, the American mindset is moderation in everything. As long as you do anything with moderation, you'll be okay in the long run. Nothing is off limits in the American mindset as long as you do it in moderation. Just don't get radical with it 
and you'll be fine. See, the problem with that is that the moderation mindset is not a biblical mindset. The moderation mindset is not built on the standard of God's word. It's not the will for your life, the will of God for your life. There are some things that God wants you to be radical about. And when I say radical, I mean from the roots up, you see things differently. From the roots up, you see things differently and you live differently. You are radical. When I believed in Jesus, I was 17 years old. And I came home and told my parents about it. And they said, that's great that you're a Christian now. Just don't take it too far. Just don't go to the extreme with it. It's good that you believe in Jesus, but don't, don't go crazy with it. Well, aren't you glad I didn't go crazy with it? <laughs> aren't you glad that I didn't go crazy and take it to the extreme? Well, friends, listen, there's still more extreme for me to live. There's still more radical for me to live. And there's more radical for you to live as well. And today we're going to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 1 Corinthians chapter 7 at what radical purity looks like. Now, there are two things in church that nobody likes to talk about. Nobody likes to talk about money, and nobody likes to talk about sex. Well, I have good news for you. I'm not going to talk about money today. <laughs> but we start with this radical purity by looking at a radical mindset that Paul mentions here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. And this mindset is a mindset that's so important to him that he mentions it not just once in the book of 1 Corinthians, but he mentions it again later. And here's where it starts. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. It's almost like Paul's having this inner dialogue, or maybe it's a dialogue with an 18-year-old. that They think they've got all the freedom in the world, but not everything that they are doing and can do is beneficial. If you've raised teenagers, and, and I'm in the, in the joys of that right now, understanding the freedom and the responsibility balance is so important. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, do you realize that it's just as important for you to balance your freedom and your responsibility in Christ? Because what Paul is saying here is you and I have the freedom to do anything we want to do. But not everything is beneficial. So as we look at what we want to do, we can't just do it because we want to or because we have the opportunity to. We have to ask the question, is this good for me in the short term? Is it beneficial. And then Paul takes it to the next level and says, I can do anything I want. And you realize, believer in Jesus, you have freedom to live and do life any way you want. It doesn't mean that you won't have negative consequences. It doesn't mean that life will always be easy. But what it means is, in Christ, you are completely forgiven. You are completely his. You have freedom. But you also have responsibility. And so the second question isn't just a short-term question. The second question is a long-run question. Is what I'm doing going to master me? Is what I'm doing going to become my boss? Is what I'm gonna doing going to become that which controls me? Because Paul says this radical mindset says, I've got freedom in Christ, yes, but I'm only going to do what's beneficial for me. 
I've got freedom in Christ, yes, but I'm only going to do that which keeps Christ as my Lord. I will be mastered by nothing else except for him. So we start with that mindset. And then Paul turns the corner. And then he writes this, 1 Corinthians 6, 13 through 14. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. In this conversation of freedom and responsibility, in this conversation of benefit and not being mastered by anything, Paul makes a quick turn, and he says, let's deal with sexual immorality. Some of you say the stomach is made for food and food for the stomach, so eat all you want and enjoy. Well, can I just remind you that the body, Paul says, is not made for sexual immorality? Just because there's a want, a need, or a desire doesn't mean that we express that want, need, and desire every time. And he says that God himself has raised Jesus from the dead, and he will raise you also. If you're one who writes in your Bible, you might want to underline 1 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Put a placeholder right there, because we're going to come back in a moment, and you're going to see some powerful truth. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 17, and he describes our relationship with God and why purity matters. He says that when we believe in Christ, we've united ourselves with him. And because we've united ourselves with him, everything we do and everywhere we go, we are uniting Christ with that activity. He draws the most extreme picture and he says, would you unite Christ with a prostitute? Would you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, unite him with that type of immorality through your practice? You see, the church in Corinth had no problem with prostitution. But God did. And Paul asks, would you unite Jesus with that? What a great question. Because it reminds us that God is with us always and that the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead is living in us. He says, would you unite Christ with the prostitute? And hopefully in your mind, you're shouting out, no way! Hopefully in your mind, you're shouting out, not going to happen, not in my life. And realizing that prostitute is, is, a, is a word picture for any sexual immorality. Am I going to unite Christ with the worst, most broken part of myself? Am I going to unite Christ with my wants, needs, and desires that are being wrongly expressed? Am I going to do that? Hopefully you shout out, no! Because Paul then says, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits or outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. A couple of things. Paul tells us why sexual sin hurts so much. It's equal to all other sins, but it hurts because you're not sinning outside of your body, you're sinning within yourself. You are actually hurting yourself and giving a piece of yourself away every time. That's why that high school crush that goes too far is so painful. That's why divorce is so difficult. That's why you and I could be mastered by the wrong things in life. Because that sin that we practice sexually, it affects us on the inside. The other thing that we know 
is that Paul says you should flee from sexual immorality. I don't know how fast you run when you flee, but I watched yesterday a cheetah chasing a gazelle, and I want to run faster than that cheetah. I want to flee faster than that cheetah. And when, just so you know, the enemy that prowls for us is not a cheetah, he's a liar. Did you get that joke? Cheetah, liar. Apparently you didn't, but it was hilarious in my head. The enemy that's chasing us is not a cheetah. He is a lion looking to see whom he can devour. And he's on the prowl. So we're taught here to flee from sexual immorality because there is a type of sin that hurts more than any other. And Paul says, I don't want you to practice that. And we're going to see here in a minute that it's not because God is trying to limit you, but instead it's because God wants what's best for you. Why is it that sexual sin is different? Let's, let's finish this section up and move along. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, Paul here says purity matters because you are God's residence. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God dwells in you, lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, you're going to check where you take your life, where you take your, your thoughts and your fantasies. You're going to check where you take your relationships and your touch. You're going to check where you take your emotions, who you give them to, and how you give it. You're going to check it because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you work really hard to get a heavenly body at Gold's Gym. Most of you don't. And I want you to know that I'm with you on that. And I want you to know that physical training is of some value, and it's great value. But this spiritual training, where you can learn to flee from sexual immorality, this spiritual training, where you can learn to live with the Holy Spirit inside of you everywhere you go and learn to live according to that power is most important. You see, what Paul is doing here, he's not laying a guilt trip on you. He's not laying a guilt trip on you and saying, hey, God goes with you everywhere you go, so you better be good. Youth pastors in the 90s used to say stuff like that. Do you think Jesus would go see that rated R movie? When you go to that rated R movie, you're taking Jesus with you. Do you think Jesus likes that movie? No, but he likes popcorn. I don't know what the answer is there, right? I don't know what the answer is. But it's not a guilt trip. And this is where we go back to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 14. It's not a guilt trip because what Paul is showing you here is that because Christ lives in you, you have the opportunity to honor him and be changed even in the most intimate parts of your life. Because the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. The very same Spirit that raised Christ to life is raising your body to full life and full submission in Jesus Christ. And can I just remind you that he that is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he that is in the world. That lion, cheetah, that we're fleeing, right? 
He is greater than the one that's in the world. And so Paul isn't wanting you to walk through life with a guilt trip. He's wanting you to walk through life with a sense that victory is possible. Defeat is not imminent. Defeat is not guaranteed. (laughs) Victory is ours. As we walk with Christ and trust him. See, for some of us, we've got to pick up the idea that this radical purity is possible. And I'm going to outline in just a minute what that is. But with the Spirit of God alive in you, there are some things that should be changing in us. I saw this meme on Facebook that has just been all over the place. The caterpillar says to the butterfly, you've changed. Do you realize, friends, that there are certain changes that should be happening in our life if we are believers in Jesus who are following him with all of our lives? That there are certain changes that we should be sprouting those wings and looking beautiful to the glory of God. Not with our old caterpillar self who's eating all the leaves off my plants. But instead, that transformation, the beautiful work that God is doing. Believer, do you trust that God is radically changing you in Jesus Christ? Believer, do you know that God is radically changing you in Jesus Christ? You're not the caterpillar anymore. You're a son or a daughter. You're not the caterpillar who you once were because God is radically changing you in Jesus Christ. And from that position, we can learn how to live with radical purity. So if you brought a pen, maybe you can fill in the blank with me on this first fill in the blank. And that is this. As we look at radical purity, know that God is not against sex. Now, I'm about to read you a verse that says it's good not to have sexual relations. And you see on the news where conservatives and Christians are being lambasted all the time for being against certain types of marriage and certain expressions of of sexuality. But I want you to know that God is not against sex. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. He writes, Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a woman not to have sexual relations with a woman. So he starts with this standpoint. Apparently he was answering some questions. How does life work now that we are radically living for Jesus? How does life work as we anticipate the second coming of Christ? How does it work? And Paul writes back to them. You ask about sexual relations, and I'm going to say, it's good not to have them. But he's going to go on in the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's a fascinating chapter. He's going to go on and explain what he means by that. He's going to go on and explain that God isn't against sexual relations within marriage, as he defines it, men and women, as he defines it. God's not against sex as he designed it and has defined it. But instead, God is for our purity. And you can fill in that second blank. God is never against something and not for something at the exact same time. So when we say God is against impurity with sexuality, that doesn't mean that God is against sex. It means he's against that expression of the good that he's given you. God is not against sex, simply. God is for your purity always. Listen to how Paul continues, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. But since sexual immorality is occurring, 
Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. When we look at the issue of impurity in our society, there is an answer. And it's healthy, loving relationships between husbands and wives. When we look at questions of redefining marriage and new levels and new degrees of relational acceptance for other lifestyles, there is an answer. And the answer is healthy, loving relationships. Impurity is not the only option. Especially for the church. Because Christ lives in us. And as we look at that, I'm going to unpack three things where Christ wants you to be pure. The first way that Christ wants us to be pure is to be pure with our passions. Paul is about to teach us how to live with pure passions. And as single adults gather and divorced adults gather and widows and widows gather in our midst, I got to tell you, Paul's about to outline a, a path of purity that isn't bound to you being married to anyone else. Paul's about to outline a path to purity that allows you to marry someone else. He's going to give you some steps to take that are fitting for where you are. 1 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9. Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So Paul is not married, and he's a minister, and apostle of Jesus, right? He was likely married when he was a Pharisee, and his wife likely divorced him when he became a Christ follower. But he stayed unmarried. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul says, if you're single and you're not overcome with lust and passion, it's okay for you to stay single. In fact, in a little while, he's going to tell us that you're perfectly positioned to do ministry if this is you. But if, on the other hand, you are burning with passion and you, it, it seems uncontrollable and you must express this side of yourself to a man or to a woman, your husband or your wife, then you, you should get married. Because it's better to be married than it is to, to, to burn with passion, Paul says. So God isn't against sex. He's for our purity. And he wants us to have pure passions. I'm in a small group that meets a couple times a month on Sunday nights. There are four couples and about 15 kids in this group. And I love it. We meet uh, and we have dinner together. And then we um, will have a study together and we'll pray together. And we do life together, celebrate birthdays and do all that kind of fun stuff. And we're right now studying a book in the guys. It's called Lies Men Believe. The guys are studying one thing and the ladies are studying another. They're studying lies women believe. And so we're studying this book. And by the way, the book Guys Men Believe is like that thick. The, guy, the lies women believe, it's like that thick. You know why? Because guys wouldn't read it if it was that thick. Right? It has nothing to do with the lies and the amount of lies that women believe versus men. Guys wouldn't read it. So I was reading my book, Preparing for Group. And we get to the chapter that's on lies men believe about sex. I don't want to go to group this week. I don't want to know their stuff, and I don't want them to know my stuff, because at group you're supposed to be honest. You're supposed to be honest everywhere, but at small group you're especially supposed to be honest. And so I was reading the book, and we had the most 
honest, frank conversation I've ever had in a group of men before when it came to the topic of purity. Because the writer of the book asked a question that I'd never heard asked before when it comes to purity, when it comes to our passions. And his question was this, are you being selfish sexually? I'd never considered that. As a married adult, how could I be selfish? She's my wife, she's mine, so how could I be selfish? As a single adult, I'd never considered that question. But that was a game-changing question for me. So, single adults, are you being selfish sexually? Setting aside God's timing? Setting aside God's commands? Setting aside the clear directive of Scripture to flee from immorality? And to marry if you can't? Are you being sex sexually selfish? Married adults? Are you demanding of improper things with your spouse? Are you, married adults, accepting any substitution for the one that God has given you? Are you being selfish sexually? Now, is that porn? Is that a physical affair, an emotional affair? Is that even a glance where you're allowing someone else to be a substitute for your bride? Jesus says if we look lustfully upon a woman, we've already committed adultery with her in our heart. There is no substitute for the man or the woman that God has given you. And anything outside of them is selfish on your part. And anything unfair or demeaning or demanding of them is selfish on your part. You see why the small group was so good? Because that's what we talked about. The book was amazing. And that to all adults, are you being selfish sexually? Putting your wants, needs, and desires above anything else in your life. Paul said, because the Holy Spirit lives in you, you should honor God with your bodies. And so we all have the opportunity and we all have the power within us, the Spirit of God. We all have the opportunity and we all have the capacity to honor God with our bodies because we are believers in Jesus Christ. And it starts with our passions. You have the right to do anything you want, passion-wise. But everything's not beneficial. You have the right to do anything you want, passion-wise. But some of those passions might just master you in the end. And then Paul moves on and gets real radical by looking at pure relationships. He writes this, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or the idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, an idolater, or a slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What Paul is saying here is that sexual immorality was so rampant in Corinth, and sexual immorality, and, and all the other diseases of the soul. Did you see the diseases of the soul? He listed out like swindling and being greedy. All the other diseases of the soul, all the other sinfulness of the people. It was so spread throughout Corinth that Paul says, don't even eat with people that practice this. And then he makes it real clear. He said, I'm not talking about people in the world, but I'm talking about people who claim to be brothers and sisters. Now, this is radically living with relationships where we look and we say, if people are struggling and walking with Jesus, we walk with them. 
If people are ignoring and, and not listening to the, to the clear teaching of God's word and following it, they will not be in our closest friendship circle. They will not be the people that we do life with at the closest level. Paul says, don't even go to Chick-fil-A with them. And he said, don't sit down and dine with them, but you can't even have God's food with them. My dad only quoted one Bible verse to me. And he quoted it to me a lot. I'm not sure if he knew it was a Bible verse because my dad wasn't a real religious or spiritual man, never saw him read his Bible. He might have thought it was just good old American thinking on moderation. But my dad would quote to me 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And why do we need pure relationships? Because if we are going to live with pure passion for Jesus, we need people that will help us in that endeavor. Single adults, can I, can I just lay this one out for you? Let's say you go out with a man or a woman, and they press you to go further than you want physically. They press you on that first date to, to go further than you want and beyond your wants. What do you do? Well, do exactly what the Bible says. Don't ever eat with them again. Right? You don't have to go out with them again. That is a very practical application of the Scripture. If somebody is calling you to be selfish sexually, don't go out again. Don't even dine with that person, especially if they claim to be a believer. Pure passion, pure relationships. And then lastly, pure devotion. As we look at living with purity, we discover a fully devoted life. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 28, But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And all the married people said, Amen. It's not a sin to get married, but if you do, you will face troubles of many kinds. Let's just close in prayer. <laughs> and then Paul writes, I want to spare you this. I want to spare you this. And he's about to, as he continues through 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32 through 34, he's about to say why living single actually spares you from the trouble of married life and how living single and honoring God actually positions you to serve him and to love him and to live for him. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32 through 34. Paul says, I want all of you to be free from concern. A single guy is not worried about his wife, and a single woman's not worried about her husband. But a married woman is worried about her husband, and a married man is worried about his wife. He is divided. She is divided. But if you're unmarried, you are undivided in your devotion to God. I love it because right there, Paul gives every single adult equal value. You don't find your value in relationship to someone else. You are not made whole by a wedding ring. You are whole in Jesus Christ. And then he also says that your singleness actually has positioned you perfectly to be used by God. Because you can live in complete devotion to him. 
free from concern, undivided devotion to God. So single adult, can I just ask you this pointed question? Especially that single adult that's hungry to be married and hungry to find that relationship that they can walk into the future with. What if the thing you'd like to change the most, your singleness, is the very thing that God wants to use the greatest in your life? What if he says your undivided devotion to me can be used by me? And then Paul continues and says, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 35. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. All of this teaching on purity is not simply to take away your freedom, but it's to be a blessing to you so that you can live a life with pure passions and pure relationships, purely devoted to God. It's so that you will know that devotion, even in the most personal, intimate, private areas of your life, is possible. And as we land the plane here, I want to talk just for a moment to married adults. Because if you hear me incorrectly, you've just heard me say that single adults have it way better than we do. Well, maybe you heard me correctly on that. But if you heard me incorrectly, you heard that single adults are perfectly positioned to serve God. And single adults have an opportunity to be like undivided in their devotion to God. Well, as married couples, can I remind you that we can be radically devoted to each other as well. You could fill in that blank. That's why it's important that we're in marriages that are equally yoked, believer married to believer, each one of us growing in our relationship with Christ. We can be radically devoted And what this looks like very practically, and there have been times when I've looked at Christy and I've said, you are not my number one desire. She didn't hit me. She didn't fight with me. And she looked back at me and she said, well, you're not my number one desire either. You know why? Because our first desire isn't one another. Our first desire and our first devotion is to God. And that's a radical devotion. Because when my first desire is to love Christy like God has loved me, that changes our relationship. When her first desire is to serve and love me like Christ has served and loved her, that changes our relationship. It sets our priority. Now don't go out and tell everybody Mike has desires other than his wife. Because I want to be crystal clear on that. I got zippity-doo-dah desires outside of my darling bride. The second thing that I want to make sure you hear as radical marriages is that we can be radically useful for God. Paul tells us that we're going to be divided. We have to care for each other. Right? It's going to be harder for a married guy to serve, but that doesn't take you off the hook. It's going to be harder for a married lady to serve, but that doesn't take you off the hook. It's going to be even harder if those couples have kids, but that doesn't take you off the hook. Because we care for our family and we love the Lord. Which means we go out and we serve him. Which means we go out and we live what he's called us to do. Every believer in Jesus, single and married, has been perfectly positioned to serve Jesus Christ right where you are. 
It's a question of, will I allow myself to be radically useful for God? And then as we look at the last quality of a radical marriage, we'll be radically living for Jesus together. We will live life God's way so that we can show and tell others that God's way is best. That's why Paul says to live with purity. That's why Paul says that you need to restrict yourselves on some things so that you can experience the best things. That's why Paul says you need to look to see at the short term, is this good? You need to look at the long term and see if this is going to be damaging if I keep doing it over and over again because living God's way is best. And we need marriages that'll show it. You know that the divorce rate is dropping in our day and age? The divorce rate in this generation is dropping. It's dropping very quickly. But there's a reason why the divorce rate is dropping. And that's because the cohabitation rate is rising. You don't have to get divorced if you never got married. And so the divorce rate drops. There's years in the past where I've done upwards of 30 weddings in a year. This year, you know how many I have on my calendar? Three. We need people, believers in Jesus Christ, to set up marriages that are lighthouses. We're not setting up homes and playing house with each other. We are setting up marriages. There's a difference between signing a lease at the apartment complex and stating a covenant vow before God. And we need lighthouse marriages, friends. And if that is convicting, I did my job. So will you live with a radical purity before God? No matter your age, no matter your life stage. Father, we thank you for the chance to open your word. Even the tough parts. Help us to apply it boldly. And God, in this moment, may the church confess their sin to you. Maybe we've been selfish sexually whether single or married. We've done things our way instead of your way. We have ignored the clear teaching of Scripture. We have justified our own behavior. We have excused our sin. God, may you convict us. And God, I pray as you do that, that you would call men and women to believe in you and find life. As the church prays, if you've never believed in Jesus for life, I encourage you to make today your day. You can't will your way or want your way to purity with God. Jesus gives it freely. When you believe in Jesus, the Bible says you're forgiven of your sins, past, present, and future. When you believe in Jesus, the Bible says that you're given heaven as your eternal home and the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. If today's your day to believe, let's mark it with a prayer you can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life. 